Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Let's Talk Tribe, episode 23. Please don't put me in a headlock. Recorded on March 3rd, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. Baseball has been played. There's something new, semi-concrete to talk about. It's some kind of baseball anyway. I don't know if I'd call it real baseball quite yet, but it's real enough that they can watch it on TV. So it's Semi-real. It's more <laughs> real than the baseball they weren't playing last month. Right, exactly. That kind that was in my head. So, other than the baseball, we're going to get right into things. There was the good, which is baseball being played, and the bad, which happened right after, not right after, but the day after we did our podcast last week, was that Abraham Amante got suspended 80 games for PED use. I'm sure you saw that, and everybody saw that. So, what he was, I'm not going to go too much into it, but what he was suspended for was something called boldenone, which is obviously in violation of the drug policy, and it's just your typical anabolic steroid, used to bulk up. It can be used to treat osteoporosis, but I'm guessing he doesn't have it. <laughs> Just shot in the dark there. He did take full responsibility, but he said he's, he does not know how it got into his body, which I would have rather him just said, I was trying to get an edge, so I took a drug. I wish they would all kind of say that, but nobody really seems to. Yeah, and I don't blame them. I, I know I understand why people wish they would, um, and I think people imagine that they would be more accepting if a player just said that. But at least in terms of like great players after the fact who it's just like if they would just admit it and apologize. Mark McGuire is a perfect example of someone who did eventually just admit it and apologize. And people mostly just use it as an excuse to rake him over the coals again. I feel like people are going to wherever you stand on this stuff. I, I don't I feel like ultimately people don't really react that differently. Um, if a guy denies it, there's like, oh, you know, he's lying. And if he does what Almonte does, which is sort of takes responsibility, he's not saying the test is wrong, but he's saying he doesn't know how it got in there. Um, I have no idea what I would say in that situation. Maybe I should try steroids and try to cover it up for a while. And then when I finally get busted, I guess I can see how I handle it. Just do a few podcasts on steroids for a little bit and see how it goes. <laughs> and you said how McGuire, because I think, like with him, and I think Pettit did it too, was they they denied it at first and then they admitted it later, which just kind of brought it up twice. Like I was thinking, if you know you did it and you're going to have to admit it of anyway, I would just do it. I don't know if I would do it, but I'm saying. Well, and, and Pettit... Penny's such a weird case. I feel like he somehow has completely avoided, not completely, but mostly avoided the 
whatever you want to call the reaction that people have to Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Mark McGuire and, and guys like that, Pettit somehow, it, it just does not get talked about the same way. I don't know if if it's his personality or the fact that he was on those great Yankees teams. Although to me, that seems like all the more reason to rip him for him. It's an excuse to try to take the Yankees down a peg. But I feel like Pettit has gotten sort of like a free ride on it. And he did admit it, but he admitted to doing it the one time that he got tested and caught. Sort of that like, oh, yeah, I did do it. It's the only time I did it. Whereas McGuire's was a little more like, yeah, it was an ongoing thing. Um, Pettit's a fascinating case to me. I would love to get a better sense of why Pettit hasn't been treated the way Bonds, Clemens, McGuire, those three especially, have been treated. Well, I think with Clemens, it was just because he was kind of a dick about the whole thing. And he just dragged right. it out as far as he could. And then with Maguire, Maguire, Sosa, and Bonds, they were all hitting home runs and got so many people caught up in it. I think it hurt more when it came out they were cheating than like Andy Pettit, who was just a pitcher. Yeah, I definitely think people react more strongly with the hitters. Mm-hmm. And Clemens is sort of an exception be- because he's been such a dick, um, <laughs> such an accomplished pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it, it just feels to me like among all star caliber players, Pettit has gotten, you know, the, the kid glove treatment and has sort of gotten a free pass for it in a way that other guys haven't. Yeah, and I don't think Abraham Almonte is quite an all-star player. <laughs> maybe maybe almost. I know you didn't think he was going to be much anyway, but I had a little more high hopes than you did, I think. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wasn't, like, terrified of going into the season with him as the opening day, you know, regular center fielder. Um but I didn't have high enough hopes that I feel like him missing half a season is a huge blow to the team. I think it's more just like it's a drag to have a player on your team go through this and have this be what people's attention is on and wonder, you know, oh, how is it going to be when he comes back? And um, most of them just so tired of all the, the drug talk stuff. All these mm-hmm. conversations have been had about so many other players. Um, more than being mad at the player for breaking the rules, I'm mad at the player for making me have to listen to people lose their minds about this again. <laughs> yeah, I think that was kind of the, that feels like it was kind of the census because after maybe a day, nobody talked about it. Yeah. And this is probably the first time since Friday that people have talked about it. It's just us recapping it, which I'm sure when his suspension's about to be up, we might hear about it again, but I think people are just sick of it. Yeah, I, I do think I, I'm. I am among those who, with the guys like Bonds and McGuire and Clemens, it's not quite that I totally don't care, but I mostly don't care. Like, I, all three of them would have my Hall of Fame vote if I had a Hall of Fame vote. Um, it, it doesn't bother me nearly the way it bothers a lot of people. Um, I do, it, it does bother me more when players get caught for it now just because Major League Baseball is handling it so differently. I feel like mm-hmm. to some extent, baseball was just turning a blind eye to all of it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so mostly I don't care that they were doing it. Uh, whereas now, you know, they've gotten much more hardline about it and they have, you know, this system. So I do think it's worse for players to be using it now than 10, 15 years ago, just because there's no question about the fact that they're not supposed to be doing it now. And they're, they know they're much more likely to get caught now than they were then. Um, I certainly wish Almonte weren't suspended for 80 games. Uh, yeah, definitely. But 
Oh, well. <laughs> no, that's not a huge blow, but the blow that it is is now what are we going to do in center field? Or what are the Indians going to do in center field? And they don't have, I wouldn't call them solid options. It's just going to be kind of a mismatch, which it already was going to be because I don't think Amante would have been an everyday center fielder anyway. So the biggest way it'll impact the Indians, obviously, is what are they going to do now in center field? And of the players they have in camp, they have Tyler Naquin, Colin Cowgill, Rajai Davis, Shane Robinson, and Will Venable. None of which are going to be all that great on their own, but I don't think the way the Indians were setting up their outfield, they don't plan on anybody being great on their own. It seems like it's all about platoon partners right now. Right. And for me, my choice is going to be to hope that it's going to be Naquin and Davis in center field. Yeah, I would go the same way. I feel like, uh, you know, Davis is going to be on the roster either way and, uh, you know, probably playing a little left field until Brantley's back to depending on who the other options are or who's in the lineup that day. Um, so of, of the other guys you mentioned who aren't all going to be on the roster, I think Naquin ought to at least be the leader for it too. Um, he hasn't had the opportunity yet. Uh, I, I've said this before that there, there's something appealing just about a lot of these guys have a track record that tells you they're probably not going to get it done. And Naquin just doesn't have a track record yet. Um, everyone seems to agree he's a good defender. So at least you feel like you're going to get good defense out of him. Um and he's not someone, you know, with, with Lindor when you're like, oh, when are you going to call him up in terms of service time? Naquin seems like a solid player, potentially. He doesn't seem like a potential star. He's not the kind of player I think teams need to worry about service time so much. Um, and they can always send him down for two weeks later to get the extra year if they're worried about it anyway. So I, I, unless he has a really bad next month, uh, I'm with you. I, I'd love to see Naquin there. Yeah, and the weird thing is maybe even just a month ago, with or without Almonte, I wasn't even looking at Naquin as a real option. He was just kind of there in camp. But now suddenly, even though he hasn't really done anything, he just seems more appealing for some reason. I guess <laughs> as it's getting closer, we're going to have to make a decision. It just looks like I'd want him and Davis looking at their splits. Right. Because I know Naquin's not great against, what is it, lefties? Yeah, and Davis has a really big split. Um, 118 WRC plus against lefties in his career. So I think that'd make a good combination. And then left field, who knows when Brantley's going to be back, which looks sooner and sooner. So that center field combination could work early on. Yeah, yeah I think part of it, in terms of like talking about a month ago, I think when you assumed Amante's going to be on the roster, I don't really want Naquin on the roster if he's only going to start once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So when I expected Almonte to be starting four or five days a week out there, I'd rather have Naquin playing every day in Columbus than you know, playing a game and a half a week. But now that there's the opening for whoever becomes the primary center fielder, uh, even if they're not playing every day, to at least be starting four or five games a week, uh, if you can get that kind of playing time, I'm much more interested in seeing what Naquin can do. Yeah, if he can just stay healthy. and Because um, he's got the speed and defense, we already know. Which is going to be pretty similar to Davis, I think, so. Yeah, and you know, you, you've got to be able to hit a bit. We saw this with Rochelle at third base last year. The defense is great, but at some point, I mean, if you can't get on base at all, really, uh, the glove isn't enough to outweigh that. But, you know, see what he's got. I, I just I don't feel like any of the other options are such a good bet to do well. Uh, I'd rather at this point go with the guy who feels like there's, you know, maybe a little higher ceiling for what he can do. Yeah, going to start the season with Will Venable and Colin Cowgill in center field isn't exactly awe-inspiring there. <laughs> Mama Cowgill's not going to like the sounds of that. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. I know you're a listener and you love the podcast. I know. <laughs> Just like the Indians listen. 
So with the outfield, if you heard this week that Brantley is apparently ahead of schedule, he went from no contact, just picking up a bat and swinging it, to hitting off a tee, and now he's doing soft toss. And Terry Francona had some nice words to say about it, that he was getting back. Um, he's on a quick recovery, quicker than they thought. Everyone's saying that it sounds like now, just because of the couple quotes, he could be back opening day, but they don't want to say it. I don't really see it like that. It just seems like a non-story to me. It's the same thing they've been saying all off-season long, that Brantley thinks he's going to be back soon. He's working hard. It doesn't seem like much of a story. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it, it, to some level, on some level, it's they get at, you know, Francona gets asked questions and he's got to say something. Yeah. Um, I'd rather he's saying over and over and over again that Brantley looks good, you know, progress is a little faster than they expected. I'd rather hear him saying that than the opposite. Um, because I do think if the recovery weren't going very well, you'd want to temper people's expectations by saying, you know, we've said all along, you might miss a month and, you know, we still feel like there's a good chance that's a reasonable timetable. So I do think it, it makes sense to start to think he's going to be back sooner than we thought. Um, to me, the idea of opening day still seems like no way. Uh, and, and scares me that they'd be rushing, in which I don't want. The, the schedule is so light on games early on. If he misses two, three weeks even, he's still only going to miss like 14, 15 games in those three weeks. Uh, and I'd, I'd rather have him at 100% than rush him. But yeah. – uh, We'll see. Maybe you know. Maybe he is that far ahead of schedule. Maybe that you know, walking around picking up bats and swinging <laughs> that stuff. Maybe that really helps. It's really did something. They even talked about maybe getting him some spring training bats. I saw or at bats. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, he's got a Francona's got to kind of toe a line there because if he gets, if they know Brantley's not going to be back for a couple weeks and they start hyping it up more and more that it might be back close to the beginning of the season, and then suddenly Brantley's not there after a week. That's going to start people thinking, oh, no, he's worse than expected because that one time in spring training, Terry Francona said he's doing great. So it's just kind of a little tight walk he's working there. But either way, yeah. I think he's going to come back fine whenever he comes back, I hope. It's a lot better than... And missing 10% of the season's games, uh, you know, ultimately, is not that big a deal. It's a long season. It kind of makes it a little more of a bummer that he didn't do the surgery a little earlier. I mean, I don't, we don't know all the details, obviously, but if they would have just... Instead of doing the rehab program or writing the surgery, you'd think he'd easily be back by opening day, I would think. But that's right. just hindsight, I guess. Ah, uh, hindsight. <laughs> it's the best. So, um, I know you said before we started you didn't get to watch any of the spring training games, but... I've examined the box scores closely, though. <laughs> Have you? Have you looked at those important spring training numbers and they meet everything and we should react very heavily to them? I'm ready to say that we should probably just cancel the season. The Indians <laughs> clearly don't have it this year. <laughs> Danny Salazar, he was bad for an inning, so I mean, just cut him. I mean, yes, <laughs> cut him, cut him in, in like a in a mean way, not like a polite. You tried your best, just just, just tweet at him that he's cut. Yeah, like a Homer Simpson, just you're cut. Get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, I watched a little bit of it. The first one, Carlos Santana homered, which was nice. Eric Stamets, which I didn't know, but apparently he grew up in Columbus. He's an Indians fan, so that's neat. Didn't know that either. Yeah, and then James Ramsey looked bad over two or two strikeouts. But I mean, again, in spring training, we're just talking numbers that don't matter at all. And I mean, I've heard like people say, well, I've looked at spring training and I noticed this guy was going to be bad and I called it and then he was bad. But you could just spin a dial and land on anybody and say, I saw this guy at a bad spring training and he was bad. Or it's just confirmation bias, I guess, because yes. yeah, you can look at anybody. People remember their successes right. and mention those. I went to the casino and won 50 bucks, <laughs> and they don't mention the four other times I went to the casino and lost $100 every time. 
good thing in that first game was Naquin. That did you see a highlight of it at all with the triple yes. that he hit? Yep. That was so nice. Look at Washington run the bases. I mean, if you look at his head with the camera moving, it's right. just straight flat. It was such a smooth run. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't translate like anything. It'd but. be more fun to see them win 9-1 to than lose 9-1. to um, But especially this, this first week, like... Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Don't get hurt. Stay healthy. <laughs> uh, you know, at some point, they've shown that strikeout and walk rate are the two things that do have some correlation to the regular season. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't want Danny Salazar walking, you know, two guys in an inning all spring, but his first outing, whatever. Yeah, he looked pretty bad right away, but then he struck out five in a row. Yeah. So now he's going to be the Cy Young, obviously. I mean, that's how it works. Exactly. He came out apparently pretty amped up is what Tito said, which I mean, that's I what spring training's for. I love spring training because he's supposed to use like seven pitchers in a game, which I think is one of his favorite things. <laughs> yeah. He's- He's got to love, like, oh, man, I've got so many guys in the bullpen, they won't even all fit on the bench. <laughs> so I bet Frank Kona loves this first week of spring when no one's going more than two innings. Oh, yeah, he's in heaven. Then he gets this bat as catcher's second for no reason, just to get him more at-bats. <laughs> oh, that's pretty smart. I don't know if you heard why he does that, but he does it just to get him more at-bats without keeping him in very long. Right. I guess that's good. Knows his stuff. As, <laughs> much as, as much as we like to complain it, he, he mostly knows what he's doing. I like Tito. I don't complain about him. I don't think ever. <laughs> I think he's a good manager. Um, second game, Jeff Manship blew a perfect game. So, I mean, just cut him. This spring training <laughs> perfect game is what we've been waiting for since 1981. <laughs> it was a collective perfect game, which actually Cody Anderson, the first two innings, I think, had a perfect game. And then Manship blew it in the fourth. It doesn't matter, though. I said uh, this, talking about no hitters in perfect games, I think Bowers pitched most of it last year. But there was a game maybe a couple of games that the Indians took a no hitter pretty late. Um, but it wasn't just one pitcher. I think like Bauer threw six, no hit innings. And then a couple <laughs> other guys came in and then it got blown in the ninth and fans were really bummed because the Indians <laughs> had a no hitter. Uh, and I came out and said, no, I'm glad it got blown. When the Indians have a no hitter, <laughs> I, I really don't like the group no hitter. I don't know why <laughs> it just doesn't feel like an actual no hitter to me. I don't know. That makes yeah. like a, you know, uh, old Haas Radburn in my day, we finished what we started. Um, but I, it only feels like a half no-hitter. So if and when the Indians get one, I want one guy pitching all nine innings. Of course. And not to happen in spring training. You were talking about regular season, though, right? Yes. I don't really remember that, that he was... Spring training, I don't care. <laughs> guys I wonder, has it happened in spring training, though? No, I'm curious. Yeah. I'll have to look that up later. I wonder if anybody's had a perfect game in spring training. It obviously wouldn't be one pitcher. It'd be... I wonder, I mean... Individually, what's the longest outing a pitcher, at least in the last like 20 years, has had? I, we can't look this up. This is a question <laughs> we're not going to answer. But like, no one pitches a whole game in spring training, I don't think, do they? Oh, that'd be insane. Who would do that? <laughs> I hope not. Maybe like 30 years ago? Yeah, exactly. I feel like there was a time when like Burt Blylevin was out there throwing like <laughs> 40 innings a week in spring training, but. I think those days are behind us. I hope so. And then, so yesterday Ramirez homered, Anthony Record homered. Ramirez looks good. I'm excited for him to get more playing time this year, I think, because he's going to be behind Juan Uribe at third base. Regardless of what he does at spring, I mean, that's just what he is. He's going to be everywhere, all over the infield. Might even get a little bit of outfield, which would be yeah. fun to Gary watch. Yeah, Francona sure likes everyone to play everywhere. He <laughs> loves the versatility. The ghost of Mike Avila is playing center field. <laughs> I think that's good with – that was horrible for Mike Avilas, but I think it's good for Jose Ramirez. He's got the athleticism, I think, to at least handle left field while Brantley's out. 
Yeah, I think is for for a backup to be able to back up a bunch of positions is great. I generally with rare exceptions, feel like starters should just have their position. But your bench players, if they can play all over the place, fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, then like I said, today's game, Salazar came out, looked rough right away, struck out five in a row. And then Shaw looked terrible, which I'm kind of shaky on him this year anyway, regardless of what he did today. But he looked really bad. I don't think he made it out of an inning. <laughs> He's thrown, I think, approximately $4 billion in 37 games in the Roughly. last few years. I, there's certainly the potential that the wheels are going to fall off as well. I mean, to some extent they did last year, mm-hmm. depending on which pitching metrics you favor. Um, yeah, I don't think any of us should be surprised that if Shaw turns out not to be particularly effective this season, given his workload. Relievers come and go. Uh, I mean, obviously we want everyone in the bullpen <laughs> pitching well, but he's someone I wouldn't be surprised if, if we've seen his last good year already. Yeah, and regardless, I'm not. I like the bullpen. I think I'm almost a minority yeah. in that, but I like the way they've set it up, I think there's so many arms going for it. At least a couple of them are going to be able to replace Shaw, especially yeah. um, Armstrong, who pitched today, but I didn't watch him because with having kids all day, it's hard to watch a full game. But I didn't get to see him pitch, but he threw today too. I don't know how he did. I'm sure he did fine. Well, Whatever it was nine to one, so maybe he didn't do fine. Innings of baseball with the kids around, you should save it for the regular season. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, three games of spring training. We've got to watch a little bit of real baseball. Now we won't get to watch until Saturday. Which I mean by then nobody's going to, or not Saturday. It's Maybe it is Saturday. It's a few days. We don't get to watch. By then nobody's going to care about spring training anymore anyway. And we're just going to be looking forward to the regular season. Yeah, it's it, it's it's checking the box. It really is no one get hurt. <laughs> exactly. If you, if you told me, like, if someone offered me between now and opening day, no one on the Indians will suffer any sort of injury, I would not care what their statistics are. Like, <laughs> right. So, the last thing I think we have for today is we've got a few more questions. Unless you had anything else about spring training you want to talk about. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we talked about it last week and today. Like, it's fun to have baseball back. It does pretty quickly feel like silly baseball or you know I mean the Indians pitchers like it'll be you know the fun the first time Kluber Carrasco is expected to actually you know go through the lineup twice or something like that I mean there are benchmarks that are still kind of interesting to keep an eye on Um, you know we talked last week about the fifth starter is you know sort of a a toss-up situation right now so when those guys go um, you know it's not that there's nothing to keep an eye out for but that initial baseball is back wears off pretty quickly when it's just spring training baseball. Oh, yeah. Like I said last week, the they know it when they schedule the broadcast. we got three games in a row, and then right. we skip a day, we have another, and then we have just nothing for weeks because nobody would watch. <laughs> I mean, even today, I don't think a ton of people were – because I mean, yesterday on Twitter, or the last two days even on Twitter, everybody was talking about the game, and then today it just started to drift away, talking right. about the Cavs and other things and not about Eric Stamets batting in the fifth inning. In terms of non-Indian spring training stories, I don't know if you've seen all of this, the, the fuss. Uh, Hank, yes. who is the Brewers' unofficial mascot, who's like a stray dog who I think wandered into their camp, was it last year or two years ago? Um, and they kind of adopted him, and it was like, you know, one of those cool things that happens for teams. But now there's a lot of thinking, and I think Brew Crew Ball, uh, our SB Nation cousins who cover the Brewers, I think they were the ones who actually got the scoop on this that supposedly that the Brewers have replaced Hank uh, 
possibly with a more photogenic dog, or maybe Hank is dead. And the Brewers have called a press conference, um, presumably to deny this conspiracy. This is what spring training's for. So I hope there's a lot more on Hank the dog, and I hope other teams' mascots have possibly been replaced as well. Are we looking at the real slider, or is the slider we're seeing just a replacement? I think there's a little bit more green in there than there was before for Slatter. I think you're right. Look this. But with Hank, you say Slatter. they're calling the conference to disprove it, but they called him Hank One with their press conference. They said they're calling a press conference about Hank One was their exact words. I am all on board with this conspiracy. That either, like you said, he's dead, they just replaced him because he had a little marks around his eyes or whatever, but there's a new Hank in the Brewers. And if you're a Brewers fan, like, I, they're... If you're not aware, the Brewers are on full-on rebuild right now. So this is all you have to root for, I mean. So I, I think a dog conspiracy is a great thing for Brewers fans right now. <laughs> it's the best thing they have looked forward to all season. Exactly. What is that press conference anyway? I thought it was today. Uh, but... I don't know, tomorrow. I, I think they scheduled to last six or seven hours, expecting <laughs> there will be a lot of questions to get through. But I'm not sure on the start time. DNA test results and whole courtroom thing make a netflix series out of it yes see it's wisconsin making of a murder territory i'm just saying i'm not saying they call that was involved but i'm not saying he wasn't (laughs) it's a new hank i'm not even there's no reportedly even if they deny it we they need to get to the bottom of that (laughs) it's clearly a new dog more important things is our listener questions we got the first one from at N. Tully on Twitter, this question is all for you. Who are the Cleveland's top three free agent signings in the past 20 years? All right. Top free agent signings of the last 20 years. Uh, let's see. Well, at number, I like actually ranking things. So I'm, I've got three in mind. I'm trying to now actually rank them in my mind. <laughs> what? A um, I'm going to say number three was the minor league deal that they signed Casey Blake to. So this was in 2003. Casey Blake signed a minor league deal with the Indians um, and immediately became an above average player and continued to be an above average player for most of his time with the Indians. Uh, A lot of time at third base, played some outfield too. Um, But he was you know, never a great player, but was a really solid player who the Indians initially got team control over without even any guaranteed money. And then the best thing about Casey Blake's time with the Indians, or maybe not the best thing, but one of the great things, is that the end of his time with the Indians, they were somehow able to dupe the Dodgers into trading a catching prospect named Carlos Santana for what was left of Casey Blake's contract. And so that minor league deal that they signed Casey Blake to not only gave them Casey Blake, but led to them getting Carlos Santana, who, regardless of what Indians fans would have you believe, has been a really good player for the Indians. So before you get to the next one, how would you compare that to turning Joey Wendell into Rob Kaminsky? I guess we don't know yet, but... We don't know yet. See, yeah, I, I feel like if Kaminsky turns out to do as much for the Indians as Carlos Santana has, I'd be really happy with that. Um, so I, I think sort of your high end outcome for that Joey Wendell for Brandon Moss, turning Brandon Moss into Kaminsky, uh, the high end of that would be that it works out as well as signing Casey Blake to a minor league deal. Mm-hmm. 
So that would be my number three, would be the, the minor league deal for Casey Blake. And I know a lot of listeners are like, really, the third best free agent in the last 20 years that the team has signed was Casey Blake. Um, but you got to think about what these guys cost. So for next to nothing, they, 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 they got that. So that would be my number three. Uh, okay. My top two are, are higher profile. Uh, number two would be Kenny Lofton who a lot of Indians fans might forget that the Indians signed as a free agent. Um, They also traded for Kenny Lofton in one of the best trades the team has made. Um, Such a good trade that at the moment, I don't even remember the name of who they gave up to get Kenny Lofton. Um, But then he left, you know, they they traded him away basically for David justice and they got Marquise Grissom because he was going to be a free agent. So 1997, the second year of the glory year or the second world series appearance a lot of people forget that Kenny Lofton wasn't on that team. Um, but that offseason, uh, there was a reunion. They signed him back uh, to a, a three-year deal with a club option. Um, and he wasn't quite as good as he was in his first stint with the team, but was still really, really good. Uh, great defense in center field, a lot of stolen bases, made a couple more all-star teams. Um, so bringing him back as a free agent. Uh, it was a three-year, $24 million contract, so $8 million a year for Kenny Lofton back then. Um, so that worked out really well. Uh, but number one, and I don't think there's any question about this, best free agent signing the Indians have made, and one of the best free agent signings any team has made in the last 20 years. Nick Swisher. Uh, <laughs> you ruined it. <laughs> yes, Nick Swisher because of his clubhouse presence. Exactly. No, uh, Roberto Alomar. Yeah was a phenomenal signing. They signed him for four years, 30 million. So not even 8 million a year. Um, And he was already maybe the best second baseman in in baseball when they signed him. Um, And then he was even better with the Indians. 1999 to, to 2001, his three years with the Indians, he was fantastic. Just those three years were enough to make him, you know, one of the two or three best second basemen uh, in franchise history, um, he was fantastic. He was top five in the all in the MVP voting a couple of times. Was a Gold Glove winner and All Star all three years. Um, and he hit 323 with a 405 on base percentage and a 515 slugging percentage. Uh, and then to top everything off, the Indians actually traded him before the fourth year of that deal, and he completely <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> Um, they, they ended up not getting anything that really panned out, but so they had him for three years for about $22 million. Um, and he would have been worth, you know, more than twice that much. So I think Roberto Alomar, definitely the best free agent signing in Indians history. Yeah. I mean, I was 12 when they traded him away or what was that? 2002, right? They traded him away. Yes. So I was 12 and outside of Cleveland. So I didn't know the reaction then, but looking at it now, people were angry at that trade for some reason, weren't they? That they got rid of yeah, Roberto Alomar, and then he fell apart. It was like the perfect time. the team apart. Um, yeah. you know, 2001 was the last time the Indians made the, the, the postseason in that stretch. Um, and so I think, you know, trading Alomar was, was sort of a sign that things are coming to a close. So I can completely understand why people were annoyed with it. Um, Maybe if they were at the time, but if you're looking back now, I think you should probably understand that that was kind of a perfect trade. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, you know, it, even though the trade didn't, in terms of the prospects the Indians got back, didn't work out, you know, trading a player with one year left in his deal for a, a package of what was supposed to be good prospects uh, certainly made sense. And then the fact that 
against all odds, Alomar was suddenly finished as not even as an elite player. He was like, he was never even an average player again. I don't know what was going on, um, but he was finished. Um, but for those three years he was with the Indians, he was awesome. And watching him and Omar Vizquel, you know, make plays and turn double plays uh, was a blast. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, uh, and Tolly, Nick Tolly on Twitter. That was a great question. So, the next ones we got, we got three. We got a whole bunch from Nicholas Kolonik on Facebook, and I figure we'll answer a couple of them. The first one is very important. We need to know. There's going to be Happy Dog at the Progressive Field now, and there's pictures of a hot dog with breakfast cereal on it. Fruit Loops, I think it was. Any thoughts on that? And Um... uh, I guess I'm intrigued. I can't say it ever occurred to me to put Fruit Loops or any other cereal on a hot dog. Um, so I guess I'm intrigued. Uh, yeah. But I suppose I would probably rather eat Fruit Loops before I went to the ballpark and then just get like kind of a normal hot dog. But I'm just a square. So Fruit Loops and a hot dog, I say go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm pretty open eating weird, almost gross things. I don't know if you remember the. KFC Double Down. I mean, that was just horrible, and I loved it. I don't. But Fruit Loops on a hot dog—that just sounds like something for kids, I guess. Because my kids, they'll put. If you give them options for anything, it'll be all sugar. I guess because I'm already getting old, I'd like more savory things, I guess. But no, I don't want that. I like a if bunch you, of weird hot dog combinations. If you had to put a cereal on a hot dog, but it didn't have to be Fruit Loops, what cereal would you put? Hold on. I'm mentally testing like everything in my mouth right now. <laughs> I should clarify every cereal in my mouth. Um, geez. I don't know. I guess Cheerios just because it'd be bland and I could just ignore it and get to the hot dog. Nothing sounds good off the top of my head. What about you? Um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe like Honey Nut Cheerios. So it's not an overpowering flavor, but just like kind of a touch. You can kind of... <laughs> Imagine you've just like brushed the hot dog with honey, and I oh, have no idea so if that's weird. a good idea or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think a more mild cereal makes more sense because if it's like an overpowering cereal, what are you bothering with the hot dog for? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you do like Captain Crunch, what if it gets soggy in between the bun? Or when you bite it, you're gonna get cut in the top of your mouth yes. and then get the hot dog juices <laughs> yes, all up in there. You are oh, that's going horrible. To cut the roof of your mouth. So I hope <laughs> you're gonna enjoy sitting at the ballpark for the rest of the day Blinking. with a raw roof of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I. Wow, that question. I, to, I can't think of anything good. I mean, like I like a lot of weird things on hot dogs. I'll try just about anything, but I don't know if I'll try cereal. So the next one from him, from Nicholas, was. Who was playing first base on Wednesday? Wednesday. It looked like Joey Butler. They were wearing number 94, I think, with no name on the back, and they looked horrible. <laughs> so I looked into it. The two that played first base were Mike Napoli, and I'm thinking uh, that Nicholas was thinking of Nelly Rodriguez. He was a number four, or number 94, and apparently he looked horrible. I didn't see him play, because like I said, I don't get to watch all the games in spring training. But if you were watching and you noticed that Pretty much anybody looks horrible in the first two games of spring training. It's probably not a big deal, especially on defense and pitching, because it's just people working together, trying to get things worked out. And it's not, they're not going to have everything down by now. So I'm sure everybody looks horrible on defense right now. <laughs> not Francisco Lindor. He, oh, of course not. <laughs> you could wake him up at three in the morning in the dead of winter 
and he's going to look beautiful. <laughs> you don't have to wake him up. Just throw a ball near him while he's dead asleep. He'll wake up and reach out an arm real quick. But yeah, it was Nelly Rodriguez. I'm almost positive. I don't well, I'm think glad Joe you were felt... able to solve that mystery. because I felt good. And then you ruined it by asking me that serial question that I can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> Had a good feeling going. But yeah, I'm sure he looked horrible. I'm sure everybody looks kind of horrible. It doesn't really matter. And he's not going to be on the roster when opening day rolls around. Oh, yeah. But if, if nobody knows about Nelly Rodriguez, I mean, that guy has huge forearms. So I don't want to say he was horrible. Now that I think about it, I'm sorry, Nelly. I'm sure. <laughs> he looked great at first base. Don't Please don't put me into headlock. But him in general, I'm excited. He's going around offending potential <laughs> Cleveland Indians tonight. I know, really. We're doing great. And Roger Clemens. Everybody's going to be after him. But I'm excited about Nelly Rodriguez. Yeah, he, big numbers. Yeah, probably not going to win any gold gloves, but he, he could have some pop. <laughs> that was Jason saying that, by the way, Nelly. I think you're going to win all kinds of gold gloves. So hit Jason. Okay. So thank you for that question. And then the next question from Nicholas, the final one, was that he looked on a list of guys on the Indians' 25-man roster focusing on the 2015 wars, wins above replacements. He noticed that a lot of guys are all hovering around 1.0. Isn't that below average? Do you, or statistically, do most World Series teams have seven or more guys at below one war? Um. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> one, some of the guys he listed uh, as at or below one war were a little above it. Right, that was Gomes, uh, Napoli, Uribe, Davis, Santana, Ramirez, Cowgill, Butler, and Perez. Which isn't to say they were way better than a one war player, but just in terms of comparing to other teams, I'm just going to point out that some of the guys he mentioned were at like one four and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, short answer: No, World Series teams don't have seven or more, you know, position players who are at one WAR uh, or fewer. Uh, but one, I don't think we're expecting. We're certainly not hoping. Uh, that every player in the Indians roster is going to put up the same numbers they did last year. So some of the guys like Santana, who was at roughly one win above replacement last year, which is below average, uh, you know, we're expecting and are projected to be better. The other thing is some of the guys he mentioned weren't full-time players. You know, Jose Ramirez was on the list of guys he mentioned. Jose Ramirez at baseball reference is at uh, 1.4 war. And in... 355 plate appearances, which is a little more than half a season. So you can't quite double it, but, you know, if you put that over 162 games or 600 plate appearances, and now he's at two and a half war. Mm -hmm. So you have to consider the playing time of these players you're mentioning. You know, Roberto Perez, he's the backup catcher. The fact that he was at (laughs) 1.4 war in 70 games, that's like saying he's like a three, three and a half win player. (laughs) So you've got to look at the playing time. Um, But he mentioned... You know, World Series teams. So last year's World Series teams, the the Royals and the Mets, the Mets are probably the better comparison point for the Indians because like the Indians, the Mets have a lot of really good pitching. And so their strength is likely to be their rotation. Uh, And if you want to look at 2015 war numbers, uh, and again, you want to round to the nearest war. So 1.4 only counts as one. the Mets only had five position players on the roster with with more than that, with more war than that. So you figure you've got like 11, 12, let's see, 12, I guess, on an NL team, probably pitchers. So you're looking at 13 position players, and they only had five who were above one and 
13 minus 5 is 8. So, in fact, last year there was a World Series team with more than seven players worth roughly one war or less. Um, and, and this isn't to pick on this question. It's just to point out that the numbers you look at for the Indians last year aren't really – I mean, the, the team was 81 and 80. I'm not trying to argue they were a great team. Um, but you don't need to look at the roster and think, oh, my God, there's no way this team can contend. I think play, people look at projections for their player, their team's players, and they feel like, oh, gosh, these no, you know, I looked at the Pakota projections, and they've only got Lindor doing this, and they've only got Kipnis doing that. But you, then you look at the Pakota standings, they have the Indians running away with the Central. So I think it's really dangerous – to just look at your team's stats in a vacuum um, because the whole picture when you step back is oftentimes very different. Yep. I think it's just a common misunderstanding about war too. I think people look at wins above replacement and think that it means if this player has this many wins, the team automatically gets that many. And it's a bunch of ones, a bunch of players with one win that it means they're going to get like what, 20 wins. But I think it's just a little misunderstanding and, and he's right. One is below average. Right. The idea is that two is roughly average. But that's if you're talking about an everyday player. So if you're looking at Roberto Perez and saying, gosh, you know, he's only at 1.4 war, that's actually awesome for a backup catcher. That makes him one of the best backup catchers in baseball. And, you know, same thing with Jose Ramirez. And there are players like Santana who was an everyday player. And, yeah, like one war for him is a bad season. You can't have – you know, more than two or three everyday players who are putting up numbers like that. Um, but the Indians don't have like three or four projected starters who look like they're going to be one more players. And even someone like Santana, he's not reasonably expected to put up those kind of numbers again. I, I know a lot of people think he's going to, um, but I certainly think he's going to be a better player. Like he has every other season of his career until last year. Yeah, that goes for a lot of players like means, I think. A lot of people just slumped at once and it kind of, Dragged all the good, all the Jason Kipnisses and Michael Brantleys and pitching staffs down was everyone else slumping at the exact same time, it seemed like. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that'll happen again. No, I mean, and someone will slump, but it probably yeah. won't be as many players. And again, like the Indians, once they had Lindor on the roster and That's you know, they thing, yeah. rid of Swisher and Bourne, they were basically as good as the Royals for like the second half of the season. And that doesn't change the fact that the Royals won the division and the Royals won the World Series and the Indians didn't. Um, but in terms of moving beyond 2015 and looking ahead, um, you know, there are reasonable reasons to think the Indians can, can win the Central this year. Oh, yeah. It doesn't seem like there's much optimism for some reason among fans, I guess, because just we're in Cleveland. <laughs> but I think you're right. They have a chance to compete. So, yeah, that was all our questions. Thank you again to, thank you again to Nick Tully on Twitter and Nicholas Kolonek on Facebook. So, did you have anything else? No, I feel like, you know, we're into like that weird holding pattern where there will be more games and more stuff to talk about. Um, but as we said tonight, none of it's super significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about, I think next week, we're going to we'll have our first guest together. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be, uh, you know, nice to hear what we, we've got some, some things lined up to talk to other people about some stuff that who have more expertise in particular areas. Uh, so it'll be fun to get some other voices in on this. It's probably um, not Nelly Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> and we're we're going to try to get some Hank the Dog experts and kind of break that down. That'll be like a four-episode 
the most of March is really just going to be Hank coverage. <laughs> I mean, what else is there to cover? We'll turn really? off a few listeners, but I think you're going to find yourselves intrigued. We're going to no, corner that dog market. Right now, it's just as the season gets closer and closer, um, the excitement of that will build up, even as kind of the fatigue with spring training builds up too. Um, it's a good time of year. Baseball is getting close. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a lot of box scores to talk about next podcast, I think. So many box scores. A whole lot of numbers that don't mean anything. But it'll be fun. It's baseball. It's real baseball. No more just free agents of the past and everything. I'm excited. Okay. So that's another episode. Here goes the music. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.